pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night and each one that is here. We ask now that you would take this time that we've dedicated to the study of your word. You would encourage us in it, strengthen us. And yet, Lord, as we're going through these uh, prophets, that we would take warning as well. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Micah. The book of Micah in the Minor Prophets. And we only have one left. That is the book of Zephaniah. Fourteen chapters in the book of Zephaniah. Uh, Zechariah, I'm sorry. And uh, just uh, so many things. And uh, we're trying to cover it. Micah is one of those books... Uh, that has just got so many incredible verses stuck in there. Verses that we quote and verses that people talk about are from the book of Micah. And I've named this study, or this summary view actually, uh, as we'll try to go through the whole book of Micah in one night, in one lesson. Uh, a plea for holiness to God, a holiness towards God, um, God is holy. Amen. And God is still holy. God has not changed. He, he is not like uh, so many others that when people fail the test, what we do is we just lower the standards and make it easier. And um, I'll tell you, it is a, a dangerous, dangerous situation to get into. Um, it's kind of like uh, driving on the road uh, in the summertime. It gets very hot. And uh, what happens is the air pressure in your tires will go up. And somebody says, ah, the air pressure is too high. Let me let a little out. Well, what that does is just increase friction. And so your ty- you can actually melt your tires down by doing that. And-, and that's what people do. They just... Take the air out of it a little bit at a time and end up destroying themselves. Because you cannot, there is no way to improve on God's standards. When God sets a standard, when God says this is the way it ought to be, you're not going to get anything accomplished by trying to improve or lower or change that in any way, you have to stick with the Word of God. You have to stick with God's way. Uh, The reason why God tells us what is best is because He doesn't have to think about it. How many of you have ever sat down and thought about several different scenarios, choices that you could make, and you tried to choose the best one, and then you realized you could have made a better choice. I mean, we've all done that, haven't we? You know what? God can't do that. He can't do that. What God chooses is always the best. It's part of His nature. He doesn't have to think. He doesn't have to sit down and get His file out and do research. God knows. And so he starts here with his prophecy to Micah. That is the same name as Micaiah, which basically means see that the Lord is good or how good is the Lord. 
And, uh, but don't get him mixed up with Micaiah, the son of Imlah, who was the one that uh, stuck his finger in Jehoshaphat's face and Ahab's face and, and said that God's going to bring back your armies without a king. And a uh, uh, different guy, uh, uh, a few generations later, he was a contemporary with Isaiah. Uh, most people believe he came just a little later in Isaiah's ministry. He prophesied in chapter 1, we're going to read the verse, of the fall of Samaria. And because of the years that he was prophesying here under the kings Ahaz and Hezekiah, he would have seen the destruction of Samaria. He would have seen the fulfillment of at least part of his prophecies. And yet, so many of the prophecies in the book of Micah we have two uh, very well-known messianic prophecies of the coming of the Lord. And uh, he'll spend half a chapter, almost an entire chapter actually, referencing things that will happen during the millennial kingdom. That has yet to come. And, and so Micah's, prophe- uh, Micah's prophecy is long-ranging. He dealt with the people of his day. He actually, unlike most prophets, got to see some of his prophecies fulfilled. And yet, we are still waiting to see the fulfillment of many of them. And uh, so, let's just dig in right here and try to uh, go through the book as, as uh, in a summary fashion, of course. But there's still so many things in here. He starts in verse 2. He says, Hear, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Now, here's Micah starts off right at the peak. He says, listen, will you allow, will you listen to the standard, will you pay attention to the words that God is giving you? Now, as we get through the book of Micah, we're going to find out that not a lot of people Micah talked to personally were listening very well. Almost seems like our day and time. I mean, they just cannot wait to come up with some new way to uh, negate the truths that are in the Bible, try to redefine, try to change, try to tell us uh, all of these things. Uh, I mean, it it just gets beyond the pale. Uh, I I heard the quote, I wouldn't have believed it except I heard it on the radio. Nancy Pelosi today actually said that the earth is God's creation. Can you believe that? She was actually quoting the Pope, I believe. Uh, But both of these people had a couple of things that they were talking about. You see, God created the earth, but he did such a poor job. And it's such a fragile earth. If we don't take care of it, we're going to destroy it. Does that make any sense to anybody here? I hope not. You see... My God's a little different than theirs is. Uh, When he created this thing, he made it in such a way that no matter what we do, 
we're not going to mess it up. Not until he's done with it. And when he's done with it, read Second Peter chapter 3, he's going to be done. It says the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. And he's just going to roll it all up, fold it all up, and throw it away like you did your term papers in high school. Amen? And God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be totally different than this one because there's not going to be any sin in that one. I'll tell you what. God, through Micah here, is speaking to the people of all the earth. He's speaking down through the ages today. He is asking us to listen and let the Lord God be witness against you. Have you ever tried to correct God? You say, Pastor, I would never do that. Yet, how many of us are disappointed when we pray, Dear Lord, please don't let it rain on Monday. Please, 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 and it rains. And we're all discouraged. Why did God say no? Because uh, He wanted to, amen? But why can't we let God testify against us? That, that's what Micah starts out with. Can, can we allow God to be right? Because God is speaking, has been speaking from His holy temple. We have His words. And Micah says there's some things that are going to happen. He says the Lord is going to come. He's going to come out of His place. He's going to come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Now, when we get to Zechariah's prophecy, uh, Lord willing, next Thursday night, uh, we're going to find out what happens when His foot steps on the Mount of Olives. And, I mean, the geography is going to change. And the armies of this world will be defeated in one single moment in time. And it says, the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem. Now, sometimes as we go through, I wish we could just take time and do verse by verse the whole way through the book of Micah, but we would be uh, a month just on the book of Micah, and, and, uh, uh, and there's just a lot of things that um, are very similar to what's in the others, but here's the transgression. Samaria. Now, I want to remind you, where were the centers of false worship in Israel? Was it in Samaria? How many of you remember your Bible stories from Sunday school time? Where did Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin, set up his golden calves? One in Bethel and the other in Dan. 
But when Micah prophesies, where does he say the sin is? He says the sin is in Samaria. Because that's where the king was. That's where the leadership of the people of Israel was. That's where the king sat. And in Jerusalem was also the temple and where the king sat. And as we go through the book of Micah, we're going to find out that the people of Israel refused to listen to God. They wanted to establish a different standard than God had set out. And God says, I'm going to judge you for it. I mean, there's some things going on in our nation today where people are changing the standards. They're changing the rules. They're redefining things. I mean, I, I kind of like what the... the uh, the Pope tried to do with his global warming thing, his, it was he attached abortion to it and said, if you're going to preserve the plants and you're going to preserve the atmosphere, maybe we ought to preserve the babies. Not, well, I'm, I'm for stopping the abortion. I, I kind of like that. I also kind of like the fact that Nancy Pelosi was kind of quoting him. Maybe, uh, maybe she'll get the other half too. No, she won't. It's funny how people want to save the seals and kill the babies. They want to redefine marriage. They want to change what is right and what is wrong. God says, I'm coming. He says, I'm going to judge. I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to start with the little guy and work my way up. I'm going to start with the guy that's responsible. And I'm going to work my way down. In the New Testament, what does he say? Where does judgment, should judgment begin in the New Testament? Right here in the church. It's God's people that have the responsibility. And if we're not listening to God, how in the world should we expect anyone else to pay attention? And that is the message of Micah. And he is summarizing it here, and he talks about Samaria is going to be utterly destroyed. And uh, he's going to get rid of the graven images and the idols. And he's going to destroy them. In verse 8, he says, Therefore I will wail, and how? I will go stripped and naked. I will make... A wailing like unto dragons and mourning as the owls. For her wound is incurable. It is come unto Judah. He is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. And so we have the prophet saying, God's judgment is coming. And he says, I am going to mourn. This is the prophet speaking. He says, I'm going to be doing the mourning. I'm going to be doing the weeping. I'm going to make a sound like an animal, like a dragon or an owl. He said, because the wound is incurable, there is no hope. And we get down to the last verse here of the chapter. It says, 
Make thee bald and pull thee, that means shave off all your hair, for thy delicate children, enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. And then we get to chapters 2 and 3. And um, why don't we just catch verse 12 before we go here. It says, For the inhabitant of Meroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. And so, we have a lot of people that said, I'm, I'm waiting for good. But don't be surprised when God's judgment comes. Because God will judge sin. And here's the sins he's going to judge. We start and we go through chapters 2 and 3. And we're going to find those. We're going to find those that devise iniquity. You know, if we could uh, take a tour out on Rikers Island and just ask about all the ingenious ways that people have devised to get themselves uh, a one-way trip to Rikers Island. It, it would be far beyond anything that we could imagine. I mean, people come up with all kinds of ways to get themselves in trouble. In fact, if you worked half as hard at an honest job as most criminals do at trying to get something wrong done, you'd make a fortune. I mean, I, I saw a van going down the street the other day, and I don't mean to be critical, but this was a van. You have to have license, registration. It was a V8, lots of gas. And they were going around and picking bottles out of people's trash. I'm trying to figure out how that pays for itself. I mean, that we, we have people that devise ways to get around. And, and some people do pretty good at it. Some of you may remember the story a few years ago uh, of the man who had a locker at the YMCA and, and a parking spot for his brand new Cadillac. And he would come and pay the guy to valet park his Cadillac and walk to the YMCA and put on his bum clothes and go down into the subways and walk the streets of Manhattan begging money and claim uh, that he made 100000 plus a year tax-free. They even did a, a write-up on him or a, a television special on him several years ago on how that he was very prosperous and nobody could touch him as a beggar. Now, I would hope that no one in here would say, wow, hey, man, that's a great way to make money. People devise evil. It was happening in Israel. It's happening here. God said that's one of the reasons why He is going to judge them. It says... Therefore, verse 3, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks, 
Neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. And uh, we we come down to uh, to verse five. It says, "Thou shalt have therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord." He says, "I'm going to remove these people completely." their seed, their family after them, that when the congregation of the Lord is accounted, when the genealogy is reckoned, their name's not going to be there. And uh, we look at verse 6, and we'll find the second reason is they refuse to hear God's Word. It says, Prophesy ye not, say they to them that prophesy. And and we come down here to... um, uh, well, let, let me just not skip ahead too far. And it says, O thou, verse 7, that art named the house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord straightened? What he's saying is, you're not changing me. You're, you're not stressing me, is what the Lord is saying here. And he says, are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly. There's one of those little gems stuck in the middle of all this prophecy and this doom. You want God to fulfill his word. You just grab a hold of it and do it. God's words will Always do you good. And we come here and we talk about verse 8. It says, Even of late my people is risen up as an enemy, and and they attack those that walk securely, and, and they go under the idea of being adverse or against the war, and yet they rob and they steal. Look at verse 9. The women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. Verse 11, If a man walking in the spirit of falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. Now, here's what's going on. God says, my people have arisen as an enemy against me. And everything they do is by subterfuge and deceit. And look what happens. The women are removed from their pleasant place. And we could spend the whole evening on this. But we're not going to. Back when I was just a young, young man, they were talking about the Equal Rights Amendment. How that women should have equal rights with men. That's all it said. And I even remember when it failed to garner the majority uh, in the Congress, 
that the wives of certain senators and representatives went on record as saying, we're not going to wash clothes and we're not going to cook for our uh, husbands who serve in the Congress unless they vote for this bill. And it didn't work. But let me ask you a question. Ladies, wouldn't it be nice just to be a lady and a mother instead of having to compete in a world of men as if you were trying to be a man? I mean, I I get so angry when people start talking about all the horrible things the Bible says about women. You know, if you'll just do what the Bible says, the woman is elevated, she is protected, she will be cared for and honored more than anything that feminism will ever or could ever produce. But one of the destructions that comes to people who refuse God's standard of holiness... It's generational. When you remove the women from the place of honor that they belong, their pleasant houses that God had ordained for them, then the children don't get to see the glory of God. And now we have a generational problem of men and women that grow up having no idea. In fact, they teach it in our public schools, a gender-neutral curriculum. There's no difference between a guy and a girl. And let me tell you, there's a difference. Amen? Uh, God made their differences. And Sunday is Father's Day. And if you're a father, I encourage you to be here. Uh, I I think it will be well worth the effort to be here on Father's Day, not just for the message, but for the little treat we're going to send you home with. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to mine, even though it's not part of the diet. Amen? Uh, But let me tell you, it says, If a man walking in the spirit of falsehood do lie, and prophesy the exact opposite of what God wants for His people. People say, that's my man. God is really speaking through him. And what do, his prop- what do these false prophets talk about today? They talk about, oh, God has put in your heart His desires. And if you'll just keep telling God what the desires of your heart are, He will give them to you. I'm roughly quoting The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Could I quote to you what God said about your heart? That it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? That... God did not put those things in your heart, but your heart has a nature that was inherited from Adam that will destroy you if you listen to it. Do not, the fool seeketh to know his own heart, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we have a whole church 
quote-unquote hierarchy built, uh, churches and, and worship services built on what appeals to people. I know this sounds a little foreign to most of you because we've not been a part of it, but how would you like to come into a church, I mean, come into an area and say, listen, we're going to start a church here. Uh, I want you talking to unsaved people on the street. I want you to tell me the three most important things to you that church ought to be. Now, how can an unsaved person tell you what's good, what is good about church? I mean, we could take a little poll. How many of you thought the preacher was a crazy person first time you came? And then you begin realizing that what was going on here was what was written in the Word of God and said, listen, i got to make a choice. Either I can go find a place that's going to give me what I want, or I can go find a place that's going to tell me what God said. And I would pray that this church will always be a place where you can hear Micah's prophecy echoed, Thus saith the Lord. Let the Lord witness against you, so that when He comes... He will not have to judge you, but He'll receive you as His children. Amen? That, that's Micah's prophecies. And we, we get to chapter 3, and he says here in verse 1, and, he, and I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel... Is it not for you to know judgment, who hate the good and love the evil? And it goes on, thus saith the Lord, verse 5, concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouth, they even prepare war against him. And, it, and we come to verse 8, and Micah says, here's the difference. But truly, I am full of the power of the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. And we come down here to, to verse 12, and it says, Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house of the high places of the forest. We get to chapter 4, but in the last days, it shall come to pass. And chapter 4 changes completely and, and gives us the prophecies of God's ultimate deliverance. He, he says things are going to change, and the, and the nations are going to come up to Jerusalem. And, and those that would sin are going to hide in the ground. And, and uh, verse 3 is one of the famous verses that's quoted in other places in the Bible. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. One of the most bloodthirsty and violent organizations in the history of mankind has a statue right over here in Manhattan out front of a man taking a sword 
and beating it into a plowshare. Tell you what, the United Nations has not brought one bit of peace to any place that it has ever gone. That's the best man can do. But when God shows up, guess what? We're not going to learn war anymore. That's right here in in uh, the next uh, uh, verses here. Um, where are we here? Right, uh, verse the end of verse three. Neither shall they learn war every more anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Now we get down to verse 8, and this is a verse I, I love to read. And remember, it says, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. I believe that verse is a prophecy of why the angels came to the shepherds and told them first of the birth of Jesus Christ. The tower of the flock is a place that is known even today in the land of Israel. It has of ancient been a place where flocks have been kept. You know, the temple had huge, huge flocks. They'd tell us in Passover, sometimes there would be a 100,000 lambs offered in Passover. Where do you get a 100,000 lambs without really close to that number of mamas to give them birth in the spring? You see, that's where the first dominion came. And we get over to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And it, this is the verse that the Pharisees and the scribes quoted to Herod and said that Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem in the midst of all of this gloom and judgment and, and God's destruction coming on Israel is the prophecy for the coming of the Messiah. And he tells them, that let's skip down here uh, to verse 9. It says, Thine hand shall be lifted up upon thine adversaries, and all thine enemies shall be cut off. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee, and I will destroy thy chariots, and I will cut off the cities of thy land, and throw down all thy strongholds. And I will cut off witchcraft out of thy hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. Thy graven images also will I cut off, and thy standing images out of the midst of thee, and thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. And I will pluck up thy groves out of the midst of thee, so will I destroy thy cities. And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury upon the heathen, such as they have not heard. You know what God's promises? He's going to destroy everything that people trust in except Him. That's what Micah's prophecy is. And I've told the story here of the preacher. This was back in uh, the 70s, I believe, was the quote. And he was just waxing eloquent about 
how that the government was going to come and take this and the communists were going to come and take that. And he said, before you know it, the only thing we have left is God. And then he caught himself. You know, that's not a bad place to be, my friend. In fact, if you'll take care of that first, you'll have a lot less to worry about. Amen? And that's Micah's prophecy is talking about those days. And we have two chapters left here, chapters 6 and 7. And God is pleading through Micah's prophecy for His people to accept and to know God's standard of righteousness. You know what? We don't have to compromise. Uh, I've had people say, but nobody can live the Bible way. Amen. But Jesus can. Amen. And He can give you the power to. Amen. And He wants to give us the ability to live for Him if we'll come to Him and simply accept His love and His Word. You know, there's so many times that the devil catches us up in trying to do these great, huge things which we cannot do when the Lord would be very pleased if we just do the little things that we can do. Don't worry about the big things. Let God take care of them. How about you take care of the little things? That's what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs and other places when it says, Mind not high things. And so, we come here, verse chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills... Hear thy voice. God says, okay, you want to have an argument with me? You want to change? You want to challenge my word and my standard of holiness? Let's get it out in the open. Let's speak up. Let's get this conversation going. And then God goes on to tell all the things that he has done for Israel. Verse 4, he brought them out of Egypt. He redeemed them. He stopped Balak and Balaam from cursing them in verse 5. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? You know what God wants? He wants a humble heart. David put it this way in one of the, more than one of the Psalms, a broken and contrite spirit. You know, sometime if you just want to 
allow the Lord to humble you a little bit. Think of everything that God has put up with from you so that you could be His servant. Just stop and think about that. Think about everything that the Lord has had to put up with from you so that you can say that you're His child. You know what it's time to do? Just walk humbly before the Lord. Just do exactly what the prophet is talking of here. And we get down here, and he's in verse 16 concludes chapter 6, and he says, The statutes of Omri and Ahab are kept. And it says, The desolation is going to be made. It says that I should make thee a desolation and the inhabitants thereof a hissing. Therefore ye shall hear the reproach of my people. And we get into chapter 7. And Micah says, Woe is me. And... Um, it's... It, And we come here to verse 2. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among them. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother, with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desires. Now, here's a verse everybody quotes. So they wrap it up. How many times have you heard somebody, let's wrap it up. I'll guarantee they don't know they're quoting a very bad verse from Micah's prophecy against them and their intentions. The best of them is as a briar, the most upright, sharper than a thorn hedge. We come here to verse 5. It says, Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father, and the daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Look at verse 7. Here's the answer to that. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation My God will hear me. Verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Now look at verse 9. Because I have sinned against him. God will not heal until we understand that we have sinned against Him. That's Micah's prophecy. You know, they bear that out so many different ways. What does even the AA, who refuses to recognize the God of the Bible as the God of a Bible, but a higher power... They invented this thing because they knew people in and of themselves could not conquer alcohol and drugs. They needed to look to something higher. 
Let me tell you, we need to understand that we have sinned against the holiness of God. And we look here, verse 18, chapter 7. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto his fathers from the days of old. Micah's prophecy. God will redeem his people. But God's not going to lower his standard of holiness. And Micah says, even in God's judgment, I am being judged because I've sinned against God. He said, and I know God's going to bring me through his judgment because God does not believe, contrary to popular belief, God is not a God who sits in heaven just waiting to go zap and burn you to a crisp. God is a God who wants to bring back his people from sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's what mercy is all about. Remember the definition of mercy. It is that which is received by the defeated from the hands of the victor. And when we admit our defeat, that's when we can receive his mercy. Amen? And that's Micah's prophecies. And just so many, I mean, we've, we've taken a very summary view, but... Messiah is coming. Some of those prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. And how well they echo the prophecies of John in the book of Revelation as he talks about that time of great tribulation. But I'll tell you what, there's coming a kingdom where the Prince of Peace will rule from the city of peace. And his name is Jesus. Walk Humbly with thy God. All God's people say. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for the prophecies of Micah. Lord, we thank you that even in the greatness of the judgment and the total destruction that was coming to your people, there was still mercy there. There was a promise of protection to those that would simply walk after your words. We ask you to do your work in our heart and life. We ask that you would help us to pray intelligently and biblically for this nation in which we live. Lord, that echoes so much the sins of Israel and Judah. Lord, we ask that you would help us not to mind high things, but to walk humbly with our God. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have a moment. We'll have the piano play. If you need to slip out, the altar's open.